been talking about the story. It's, uh, in case you're new here, it comes from this book right here by the title, The Story. It is the Bible in uh, narrative form from Genesis to Revelations. It's, uh, it, it's in chronological order, so it takes those poetry books and those um, prophetic books and puts them right in the, the history books. And so you just got one clear reading all the way through. Doesn't, doesn't cover absolutely everything in the Bible, obviously, uh, but, but it does give you the story. You will understand what the Bible's about if you read this, and we encourage you to read it. Many of you have read all the way through, and you're finishing up with us this morning. Some of you, this may be new. I'd encourage you to start your new year off next year and just read this through. And uh, we have a few of them left. If you'd like to purchase them, we, we're investing in you. These uh, right on the back, it's stamped 1999, but we bought them in bulk, and plus the church invested some for your benefit, so you can have a copy for five dollars. Be a good Christmas gift. That's coming up soon. So if you want to get them, we're not going to order any more. We don't plan to. So when those are gone, we also have them in Spanish as well. So if you like those. The story, as you've heard me say many times throughout this year, there is the upper story. That's looking at what's going on in the world from God's point of view. Then there is the lower story. That's our reality. That's what we're walking out and living every day. The two are connected. The two are connected. It's difficult for us to see that sometimes because many times we go through things in life where our reality of the lower story makes absolutely no sense to us. There's some things that happen to us in life that's just not logical, they're not reasonable. They don't make sense to the carnal mind. It's only when you can connect it to the upper story do you begin to see what it's all about. I've shared this with you before, but let me just illustrate once again. Many years ago, I saw a little documentary that Corey Ten Boone did after the movie The Hiding Place was out and had done so well. And they interviewed her, and took, uh, she took the cameras to the places uh, where the hiding place, th- those events actually took place. And at the, at the very ending, she was doing some kind of needlework. I don't understand enough about needlework to even know what it was for sure. But I know she was putting these threads through, and there was long strings of thread hanging out the bottom. And if you looked at that thing from the bottom, it... It absolutely made no sense, but when she turned it over, there was a masterpiece on the other side. And I want to tell you, folks, we're getting close to the time when God is going to reveal to us the masterpiece that he's been making with all these frail ends that don't seem to connect for us here right now. But when we see it from his perspective, from his point of view, And I know of no better book in the Bible to wind up with than the book of Revelations that shows you the connection between the upper story and the lower story. And we're going to look at this book of Revelations this morning, and it's a tremendous book. Now, I hope you understand that I can't possibly preach the book of Revelations in 30 minutes. So just forget about lunch and give me about four hours and... (laughs) 
Seriously, they would be coming in from children's church to, to get me to stop if I did that, I'm sure. But we're, we're going to hit some highlights this morning on the story. Before I get into it, I want to, I want to begin by reminding you of a TV program that was on a few years ago that was real popular. Um, I can't remember the, ex- the, the exact title of it. I think it was called Extreme Home Makeover, something like that. Anybody remember that, that, that? In fact, they made one episode was right here in Augusta, Georgia. You know, remember the premise of it? They would go into a, to a town or city, and they would find somebody that, that they felt was really contributing in some special way, to either to the community or to special needs in their own family, somebody that was really sacrificing, and their home was inadequate either for the special needs of the family or maybe it was just because of their sheer poverty that their family was just, um, their, their house was just so inadequate. And, and they would, the, the TV uh, program, they would, the producers would get the community together and they'd get contractors and, and all the different uh, community people that could do things. And, and they would take this family and send them away. Remember that? They'd send them away on a vacation. And then they would, while they were gone, they'd tear their house down. And then they would build them a brand new home that was adequate for whatever need it was. And I mean, it would, it would just blow you away. It would be so special. And so, and, and my favorite part of that program was when they, at the end, when they'd bring the family back. Remember that? They'd bring them back. And when they got them on site, they wouldn't let them see the house. They had this big bus. Remember that? Got this big bus. And so they would bring them on this side of the bus and they would interview them before they let them see the house. And they would talk to them about their vacation and what might And you could, you could anticipate, you could feel the excitement building. And then all of a sudden, the interview would come to an end and, and they would start off by saying, Anybody remember what? And the, everybody, the whole community was there. They'd be shouting. What'd they say? Oh, you say it again. And, and then my favorite part was when that, when that bus would pull away and when that family would see it for the first time, the excitement, the, the, the sheer surprise of what was in front of them so magnificent and beyond anything that they, they could ever expect. It just, that, that was so exciting. And well, let me tell you about the book of Revelations. It reveals to us what the Lord Jesus has been doing for the last 2,000 years. Remember, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, just believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I'd told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow. I don't know exactly how God's going to do it, but I know that one of these days, and it could be today, in fact, the Lord's going to return, and, and, and he's going to lift us from here to that heavenly city where he's been preparing this place for us. And like I said, I, I don't know exactly how he's going to do it. It could be that there'll be a host of angels that are screaming, move that cloud, move that cloud. 
I, I, I don't, I don't, my imagination runs a little wild sometimes. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. But I know one thing, I can hardly wait to see the expression on your face when you see what the Lord has prepared for you. I can promise you, yes, I can promise you this. It's beyond anything you ever imagined. It's beyond anything. <laughs> I hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Man just can't even comprehend the good things that the Lord has prepared for us. And that's what we're going to see in this last chapter of the story, the book of Revelations. Now, I want to start off on the lower story. Is that okay? Let's look first at the lower story. And if you look at the lower story in the time that this was written, when John, the apostle of Jesus, received this revelation, you will see, first of all, that Rome was ruling the world. Rome was in power. The Roman Empire had spread until it it had taken over the, the known world. And the, the emperor of Rome was, was um, the only way I can tell you is that, that he was crazy. He was, and he was brutally crazy. He, he, he just went mentally berserk. And he decided that he would just eradicate the, wor- the Christianity from the world. He would just do away with Christians, period. And so Christians were suffering. In fact, Nero, he would have Christians grabbed and killed and stick them on a pole and stick them in the sidewalks of the streets of Rome. And he made his brags that he would light the city of Rome with the burning bodies of the dead saints. He literally used Christians as streetlights for the city of Rome. He was killing them in the Colosseums. He was, he was exacting all kind of punishment and, and terror upon the Christian world at that time. That's what our Christian brothers and sisters were going through. Christians are being persecuted on the lower story at that time. The Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelations... By the way, I, I don't know what your Bible may say at the beginning of Revelations. Many Bibles... When you get to the book of Revelations, there's a caption at the top. This is not given by God. This is what the publishers put in. They say, the revelation of, of John the Apostle or something like that. Well, let me, let me tell you, folks, that's not true. The Bible is true. And you have, don't have to go very far to find out that the book of Revelation is not a revelation of John at all. John the Revelator, was, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we'll read that in just a moment. But John himself was being persecuted. In fact, the other disciples have been killed. John's an older one. And they tried to kill him. History says that they boiled him in oil. They literally were going to boil him alive and kill him. But God wasn't finished with him. And so he wouldn't die. And it made... It made the emperor so angry that they couldn't kill him by boiling him in oil that he banished him to Patmos to die. Patmos was a little island in the sea where they, where they shipped uh, life 
uh, criminals. They just left them there to die. John was there. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. When, when all you can see is the lower story, things are not as they seem. Can I say that again? Things are not as they seem. You've got to connect it with the upper story. So let's, let's look now at the upper story. And I want to give you the, the, the introduction of the book of Revelations. I'll read from chapter 1, the first three verses, and then I'll drop down 9 and 11. Listen to this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, there it is, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written for the time is near. I'm going to stop right here. I, I take the word of God very literal. So I read the book of Revelation several times every year. It's not because I love to read the book of Revelations. It's because there's a blessing right there. It says, blessed is he who reads. If there's any blessings in there, I want them. So I, I, I go after that. That's an easy one to get. And by the way, there's a blessing to those who hear. So if you don't leave before I get finished, you get a blessing <laughs> from God because you'll be hearing it, okay? And then there's a blessing for those who keep the word of God, who live up. Now, look at this. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation of the kingdom, the patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This 10th verse blows me away. Remember, John has been boiled in oil John has been banished. How would you like to be him now? He's got nothing. He's been dropped off on an island to die. And look at verse 10. Sunday comes around, and here's what John says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I'm just going to stop right there, folks. That I'm telling you right now, there's some people can't get in the Spirit if they get wet on the way into church. And there's others, you know, the time change messes them up. And there's others got all kind of reasons why they can't get in the Spirit. John was going through persecutions like you and I don't know anything about. And yet on the Lord's day, he said, ain't none of this stuff going to hinder me, brother. I'm going to get in the Spirit. I'm going to worship God regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what I'm going through. It's the Lord's day and I'm going to worship. Amen. So he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and this is what happened. I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches that are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. You, you have no idea how this crazy stuff that runs through somebody's mind when they're trying to preach. When I read Ephesus there, my mouth started watering. There's a restaurant here in town called Ephesus. <laughs> and some of our good folks run that restaurant right here. My brother right here. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you, the, the, the best Turkish food and the best Greek food you ever ate. I'm telling you, it, my mouth's watered. Church at Ephesus. And as soon as I get through with this, I might see you, brother. Uh, but, but anyway, the, these seven churches he's writing to. Um, let's read on. Because what you see here in the book of Revelations is the triumphant Christ 
who stays in the midst of the church. So let me drop down to verse 12 and just keep reading. John says, then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and gird about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his hand, his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which you now have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Wow. This is what John saw on the Lord's day when he was in the spirit. Jesus in the midst of his church. I told you things are not as they seem. If you'd have looked around in John's time, you would have thought that Rome had it all and controlled it all. But when John saw the upper story, he said, no, that's not the way it is at all. The Alpha and the Omega has got the keys of hell and his death and death right there in his hands. And he's controlling the whole thing and, and he will, is in the midst of the church. And he named all those churches that I read to you about just a while ago. It, it's, uh, he, he talks about the, 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 the seven churches. Those were seven churches in Asia Minor. The reason seven are mentioned is because seven is a number of completion. And, and he's really talking about a message complete to the church. Um, notice this about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelations is a book of sounds and of images and of numbers. Now, the reason some of you don't enjoy reading the book of Revelations is because you, you have more of an analytical mind and you really, you go at the scripture like an engineer and you want to take apart everything and understand every word and, and, and every syllable and, and you want, you want it to flow and you want it to be in order and you want to under if that's what you're looking for go back and read Romans that's a good doctrinal book and 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 you can see that specificity of of doctrinal truths but if you're going to read the book of revelations without being frustrated you're going to have to learn to just kind of sit back and ride with the symbols and the majesticness of the visions and the dreams that, that John saw. And you, you're just going to have to accept that and not drive yourself crazy trying to understand every, every little detail of what it means and what somebody thinks it means. And I'm telling you, there are folks that spend hundreds of hours studying eschatology, trying to work out every little detail, and they want to know, you know, what everything in Revelation means. Look, just, just sit back and enjoy now, like I said, it's symbols. It's, it's uh, um, the, the number seven, for example, simply refers to completion. It is 54 times in the book of Revelations, you'll find the number seven. 
Now I'm starting to sound like one of those that's looking for, I've counted the number of sevens in the book of Revelation. But what, what I'm telling you is that there, there are all kinds. It's, it's almost like John becomes an artist and he has a palette that is before him of metaphors and, and he, he brings these images and, and, and he makes some es- exclamation, but much of it is more of a symbol than a sermon. It's more of a theater than it is a classroom study. So just sort of ride with that. Jesus sends these seven messages to the seven churches that I mentioned. But again, it's to all of the church. And here's the beauty of it. The, The thing that John sees is that Jesus is in the midst of his church. Amen. He may have ascended to heaven, but he has not forgotten his church. He's in the midst of the church. And I want to tell you, he, is in the, he was in the midst and is in the midst of the church at Thyatira. And he is at the church of Ephesus. And he is at the church of Philippi. Uh, uh, Philippi. He is at the church of Pergamos. He is at the church of Laodicea. He is at the church of New Hope. He is at the church in South America. He is at the church in the Middle East. He is in the church at Africa. He is in all those churches in, in India. He is in the midst of his church. And he's here today, folks. Don't you worry. He's looking after his church. Just know that about the Lord. Now, the third and final point that I'm going to make with this message today is that John saw the center of the universe. The center of the universe. What is the center of the universe? Well, if you'd have been living in that day, you would have thought it was Rome. But I want to tell you the center of the universe is not Rome even though the Vatican is there. The center of the universe is not Rome. Amen? And in today's world, I hate to disappoint you, we we love our nation and we love our capital and we thank God for our leaders, but the center of the universe is not Washington, D.C. That's now. So where is the center of the universe? doesn't take John long to find it. When you get to chapter 4, remember chapters 1, 2, and 3 or revelations that God gave to John in visions while he was right there on the Isle of Patmos. But when you get to chapter 4, God takes John on a little journey. Look at it. First three verses. And after these things, I looked and behold, a door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Let me tell you where the center of the universe is, or what's at the center of the universe. The throne of God. That's the center of the universe. And the good news is not just that John saw a throne, but that John saw who was sitting on the throne. A little side note here. It wasn't you. And it wasn't me. (laughs) And if you knew me real well, you'd be glad I'm not the one sitting on the throne. God is sitting on the throne. Our God. Our God high and lifted up. God. 
God who is today, what he was yesterday, what he will be tomorrow. God the eternal, God the first, God the last, God the supreme, God the alpha, God the omega, God the supreme, God the omnipotent, God the omniscient, God the omnipresent, God who is and was and shall ever be, he is sitting on the throne. Don't you get all tore out of the frame by what's going on in this world. In fact, there is an anti-Christian spirit that's going across the earth, demonically driven, that's causing people to do things that are just as hideous as the things Nero did in Rome in his day. But that's just the lower story. God is still on the throne. Amen. It's, it's beyond my comprehension, the atrocities that man can do, the horrible things that one person can do to another person. I, I, can't, I can't grasp it. It has to be demonically driven. When you turn on the news and see ISIS chopping people's heads off, how do you do that? I couldn't do that to my worst enemy. Saddam Hussein, before he was deposed, would take human beings, live human beings, and run them through wood chippers. I'm talking about big pieces of equipment that you take a log and run it through, and it breaks it into sawdust. He would drop human beings, and it would start from their toes to their head, just chipping their body apart. I can't comprehend that. The Milans who attend here for church, at church, part of our membership here from the Sudan, they've written a book that will be published very soon. I've, been, I've just been reading the manuscript because I'm endorsing the book and, and, and uh, I wanted to read it. And some of the things there are beyond my comprehension. He tells about their escape from Sudan. And I've talked to you about some of the things that they suffered, the persecution they went through when they beat him daily and pulled the fingernails out of his, by the roots out of, out of his hands and, and, and all those horrible things that they did for him, but, uh, to them. But when they escaped to the Sudan, I'll just give you one thing that's in the book. I hope you'll get the book. That They had a cousin, a young lady, that had to go to the hospital. They, they fared much better in Egypt than they did in, in uh, Sudan, but still uh, there, there, were, there were things that were done to them. This cousin had to go to the hospital, and the cousin was scheduled for just a minor surgery, and, and, and after they took many hours longer than the surgery was supposed to take, and, and then they came out and told the family, said, she's heavily sedated, so just take her home. And and she'll wake up at home later. And so they took her home, and she didn't wake up. She died. And when they began to investigate to find out what had happened, they had harvested all the organs from her body and sold them on the black market. How do you do that to a human being? I don't understand. I don't understand. But I know one thing. Things are not as they seem because that day is coming to an end real soon. Amen. Let me take you back to the center of the universe. You know what's going on there? 
Worship. <laughs> worship. That's what's at the center of the universe. If you don't like worship, you're going to be in trouble when you get there because that's what's going on. Let, let, me, let me read it to you right here, right here out of Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 to 11. Behold the throne. There was a, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes round about and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Worship is going on before the throne. And again, we get into a descriptive thing here. He describes living creatures. What all that's about, I don't know for sure. I don't don't have time to, to deal with all of that. I just believe me that every creature that God has created that's there is worshiping the Lord. It's almost like there are layers of circles around the throne of God and the living creatures praise the Lord. And when they get done praising the Lord or when there was a pause or a break, then the four and 20 elders, what's that about? The 24 elders represent, 12 elders representing the old covenant saints, the 12 tribes of Israel and all the Old Testament saints that died in the Lord. The, 12, the, the, the other 12 making up the 24 represent the church and the 12 apostles and all of those. We're part of that great number that's going to be praising the Lord. And, and the living creatures, all the angelic beings, the seraphims, the cherubims, and all of the angels of God, they worship God. And as soon as they take a break, we sound in with our worship to the Lord. And, and on and on there's praise and worship to God. <laughs> and a while ago when I was talking to you about the place that God has prepared for us and how excited we're going to be when we see all of that, you're going to be excited, friend, when you see streets of gold. You're going to be excited when you see gates of pearl. You're going to be excited when you see walls of jasper. You're going to be excited when you see the place that God has prepared for you. Nothing like it on this earth. But let me tell you what's going to excite us more than that. The focus of the universe is not going to be on the streets or the gates or the walls or the mansions. The focus is going to be on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who hung on a cross and died for our sins and saved us by his mercy and his grace. That's going to be our focus. John said in one of his epistles, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In the Old Testament, David, the man after God's own heart, said, "My, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I tell you, the thing that's going to excite us more than anything that we've ever known is when we see the one who's brought us from this earth and all of its suffering and brought us into fellowship with our heavenly Father and has given to us eternal life that shall never 
ever pass away. And we'll have a glorified body like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to live forever and ever and ever again. Amen. Amen and amen. Oh, give him praise this morning. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord for his word to us today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Let me briefly wrap this up because I don't want to. There's not much you can add to what the Holy Spirit called you to do. We want to worship him this morning. But can I tell you as this thing wraps up that Christ in his church prevails over Satan and all of his adversaries. Now, obviously, I don't have time to do an exegesis on chapters 5 all the way through chapter 20. But what those chapters tell you is that while all of this worship is going on in in heaven, there's still a lot of horrible things going on on the earth until the wretchedness and the sinfulness of man comes to a point where God comes to judge. But it's going to happen. Chapters 5 through 20 tell you there's still terrible things going on. There's terrible things going on on the earth right now. But it won't be long until those things come to an end because then we come to Revelations chapter 21. It's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. God creates a new heaven and a new earth for his redeemed people. Praise God. Let me read the first six verses of Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth was passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Look at this. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Look at this. I love these five things here. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Hey, brother, no more pain. 
It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. No more, never any more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then who, he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's what we have ahead of us. And John, John said, when he came to the end of this, he said, even so, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> if, if, you'll, if, you'll, if, if you'll not think I'm being sacrilegious, let me, let me just put it in my own words. And I think John said, move that cloud. Move that cloud. Come on, Lord Jesus. We're getting close. Stand with me, please. But I want to tell you this. Jesus wins. Read the end of the book. Jesus wins. And we have the opportunity to be with him. But it's up to you and me to choose. You see, John also saw this in verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, friend, there's going to be a division. We're together here on the lower story, and we're having to exist and live, and we have brothers and sisters all over the world that are suffering. We may have to suffer some before Jesus comes. Who knows? I don't know what lies ahead. But I know one thing, when he comes, there's going to be a separation. Everybody's not going to heaven. Everybody talks about heaven's not going to heaven. There's some folks that are not going to heaven. You say, that sounds unfair. No, it's not. If God were to allow sin in heaven, it would destroy heaven just like it's destroyed earth. Not going to be any sin there. But it's up to you to choose. God's done everything he can do, everything he will do to make it available to you. It's not his will that anybody should perish, but that everybody should be saved. That's the will of your heavenly father. Jesus died on the cross. The golden text of the Bible said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that includes you, whoever you are and wherever you are. But God gave us the power of choice when he created us. And for us to have the power of choice would be futile if there wasn't anything to choose and the ability to make the choice. And so God gives us a choice. You can choose to follow the Lord. You can choose to be a winner, choose to be victorious throughout eternity, or you can choose to stay behind and endure all that stuff in Revelations 5 to 20 and in eternal damnation. It's up to you. I want our prayer team to come quickly. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, 
you have visited with us this morning in a special way, and we thank you. I pray that you would do now what I can't do. Would you speak to the hearts of the people? Lord, if there's a man, woman, boy, girl that's standing here that's unsaved, Holy Spirit, would you just urge them and draw them towards Jesus? Meet every need in this congregation today. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. The altar's open. I'm going to invite you to come. There are people here that will be glad to pray with you and for you if you have a need of any kind. I especially, I want to urge those of you who are unsaved to come and give your heart to Jesus this morning. If you're not absolutely certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven, I want to urge you to come. I I urge you, there's an urgency in my spirit. Come to the Lord while there's still time. Come to the Lord while there's still time. This thing's wrapping up, winding down. We're getting close to the end, folks. Come and give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from God, come home. Come home. If you have other needs of any kind, you may want to pray with somebody or you may just want to find a place, just you and God, just to talk to the Lord. But the altar's open. God bless you as you respond.